Thank you for the cover, sure appreciate it. And what a joy it is to be in Houston. I have been praying for this meeting, excited to take part in all of this. The music was wonderful tonight. The testimonies were a blessing. I've already been helped just by being here. I'm gonna do my best to keep you Houstonians awake this evening, because I know a lot of you were up late watching a baseball game last night. Now, I'm a Rangers fan, so baseball hasn't been appointment viewing for several years now, okay? But I know it certainly is here in Houston, and you're looking forward to the World Series. I love the idea of this conference, and not only being equipped, but equipping those who equip others for the work of the ministry. I want to be better at equipping others, so I'm looking forward to participating in all of the sessions and getting as much out of this conference as I possibly can. Well, we're going to go into Mark chapter 10, so if you would go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. While you're turning there, let me ask you, how many of you really enjoy a good trip to the doctor's office? <laughs> I do not. Uh, to be honest, for the last two or three years, I've been battling some stomach pain, but I hate going to the doctor so much, I put it off. Well, about six months ago, I had a lot of flare-ups and a lot of pain. I lost 15 pounds. I could no longer eat barbecue or salsa, so that was it. I was going back to the doctor, okay? And once I got there, I figured out uh, why I didn't like going. And number one, it takes a lot of time. You know, they're going to schedule you to get there at 11.15. The doctor doesn't plan on showing up till about 3.30, right? I'm not my grandpa going to the airport. I really don't need to be there that early, okay? And then, of course, once you get there, there's going to be a lot of sick people there. All the sniffling and sneezing and coughing in the waiting room, you know. Um, if you weren't sick before you got in there, you will be sick when you get out. And maybe that's why they hold you hostage in there. I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat. That's their plan, I think. Then, of course, it's going to cost you a lot of money. I had a lot of tests run. And I got a bill the other day, $4,600 just for labs. I was flabbergasted, so we'll be taking up a love offering at the end of the service. I'm just kidding. Insurance paid for a lot of that, thank goodness. Uh, but when I thought about those bills, I will say this. The guy who ran a few of those tests deserves every penny he's getting. Let's just say they were not blood tests, okay? That guy deserves it. And then, of course, um, the doctor's going to tell you some things you just don't want to hear. He's going to tell you you're sick, you're stressed out, and he's going to tell you, uh, what's the other thing? You're overweight. I could have gotten a lot of that information out of a conversation with my mother-in-law, okay? So I just don't like going to the doctor. In my case, they discovered that I had some infections in my colon, had some infections in my stomach. They gave me medication. It is curing up. And he also said, Pastor, these things are exacerbated by anxiety and stress. I wonder, maybe you haven't had some physical problems. Maybe you have, but anybody been going through some anxiety and stress lately? You say, I'm not sure I want to hear from a pastor who has anxiety or stress. Well, can I just remind you tonight that in God's hospital, there's only one great physician and the rest of us are just patients. And that's what we're going to learn about in Mark chapter 10. We're going to be reminded of our desperate condition and of the compassion and power of our great physician. So let's read Mark chapter 10. Verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more, a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. 
And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now we're coming tonight to the final healing healing miracle in the book of Mark. It is also the final conversion until the conversion of the thief on the cross. This story is one final flicker of light before the Lord Jesus descends into the darkness of Calvary. It reveals the power and compassion of the Lord Jesus in response to the keen insight, audacious faith of a blind man named Bartimaeus. Now we notice in verse 46 that Jesus and his disciples came to Jericho. That's an important Bible place. Jericho was about 18 miles northwest of Jerusalem, five miles west of the Jordan River. Many years ago, the Herodians had refurbished the city. It was not far from the ruins of the ancient city where Joshua and the children of Israel marched around seven times. Now, the historian Josephus described Jericho in this passage as the richest part of Judea. He called it a little paradise. It was a city of palm trees supported by natural springs and a Roman aqueduct. The soil of the plains of Jericho was regarded as the most fertile in all of the Holy Land. Alfred Edeshine really uh, set the scene. He said, all around wave groves of feathery palms rising in stately beauty, stretch gardens of roses and especially sweet-scented balsam plantations, the largest behind the royal gardens, of which the perfume is carried by the wind almost out to sea. Jericho is the Eden of Palestine, the very fairyland of the old world. Those balsam plantations that he wrote about were so renowned that Mark Antony once gave them as a gift to Cleopatra. The word Jericho itself means perfume. So use your imagination. See the scene tonight. The tropical sun is shining overhead in a clear blue sky. The air is heavy with the sweet smell of balsam and perfume. On your face is a balmy breeze. It is a beautiful day in a beautiful place. This is an especially important day, however. This is a procession day. The Galileans are coming down like a mighty army from the north of the country, passing through Jericho as they make their way down to Jerusalem. They're going to celebrate the Passover. It's a festival-type atmosphere in the streets. Crowds are everywhere. There's music and singing and eating and drinking. This year there is a special buzz in the air because a rabbi named Jesus from Nazareth is leading the procession. His popularity is at its absolute zenith. Stories are being passed around the crowd, in particular a story about a man named Lazarus who had been raised from the dead. There is talk that when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, some will meet him with hosannas and palm branches and they will anoint him to be the king. Expectation and excitement are in the air. It is sure to be an unforgettable day. In a beautiful place, on a beautiful day, we meet a man in Mark chapter 10 who has a very hard life. He's a blind man. He's a beggar. He was the kind of man that many people don't want to see or think about on a joyous day like the festival day. 
His pitiful condition probably brought the mood way down in the eyes of many people. But this blind man saw more than most saw that day. And it would be his interaction with Jesus that the people of Jericho would never forget. I want you to notice just two very simple things about this passage this evening. In the first place, I notice the condition of the man. The condition of the man. And I noticed two things about him. First of all, he was blind, but also he could see. And he could see in some ways that many other people in Jericho could not see. His blindness is a reminder of our condition apart from Christ. And his sight a reminder of the things that we must see if we are to be cured. So I want you to think for just a moment about his blindness. And I want you to use your imagination and really think for a minute about the condition of blindness. Bartimaeus never saw a sunset, not one in his life. He never saw a forest or a lake. He never looked up into the evening sky to see the stars. All he saw was darkness. He lived in a narrow world of darkness. And what a tragedy it is to live in a place as beautiful as Jericho and never be able to see it. You know, folks, throughout the Bible, blindness is used as a metaphor. It describes uh, the spiritual condition of those who do not know Christ. And our brother quoted some important verses tonight. The Bible says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Ephesians chapter 4 reminds us that unbelievers walk in the vanity of their minds, having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Isaiah 59 says, We wait for light, but behold obscurity. For brightness, but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as if in night. We are in desolate places as dead men. And I just want to remind you, I know most everyone here knows Christ tonight, but not to know Christ is to be spiritually blind, unable to see what life is all about. And all around us in this city and in the city where you came from are people who see just fine physically, but they can't see spiritually. They just can't see the evil of sin. They don't see what the big deal is about a sinful lifestyle. They can't look ahead and see the perilous places that their sin is taking them. They have no vision about what will happen to them after they die. It's dark and mysterious to them. They cannot even apprehend what it will be like to stand before a holy God in their sin. They've never even thought about it. They're blind to it. But folks, can I remind you, neither can they see the goodness of God in this world. They live in a world of beauty and majesty and creativity. And never once have they thought about the beautiful and majestic and creative God who made it all. God's goodness is all around them. In every smiling face, in every delicious piece of food, in every piece of music or art that truly moved them, God's goodness is everywhere. But they are as blind to it as Bartimaeus was to the beauty of Jericho. And I would just remind you, that we were all there until by a miracle of grace the Holy Spirit opened our eyes so that we might see the glorious light of the gospel in Jesus Christ. He allowed us to see our sin and to envision where that sin would lead us. He allowed us to behold the goodness of God in providing a cure we could never provide for ourselves. 
Bartimaeus was blind, and apart from Christ, we were all blind. And we see ourselves and we meet him in Bartimaeus. Not only was Bartimaeus blind, but this is a unique insight to me. Bartimaeus could see. And that's not just a play on words. He saw some things about Jesus, even though he was physically blind, that the rest of the people could not see. He saw the identity of Jesus and the urgent need he had for mercy. We know that he saw the identity of Jesus because he cried out in the text, Jesus, thou son of David. Now, folks, stay with me here, okay? That is a blatantly messianic title. It was only used one time in the book of Mark. Actually, this is the first time it's used. And the only other time it would be used is in Mark chapter 12 when Jesus used it to describe himself. No one else in the crowd that day saw clearly enough to recognize that Jesus was the son of David, that he was the Messiah. Everyone else had sight, but only Bartimaeus had insight. Helen Keller was blind and deaf. And one day a person rudely asked her, isn't it terrible to be blind? She fired right back. Better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and to see nothing. And Bartimaeus couldn't see with his eyes, but he could see some things with his heart. I think in his case, blindness had benefits. While everyone else was milling around, distracted by the sights and sound of the procession, Bartimaeus was able to sit alone and really think that day, to contemplate all the stories that he was hearing about Jesus of Nazareth, to connect them with Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. While the rest of the crowd saw a rabbi and maybe some even saw a king, only Bartimaeus saw Jesus that day for who he truly was. And as a result of figuring out the identity of Jesus, he cries out to Jesus for mercy. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now those two things are connected, and please don't miss that. I'm asking you to use your minds just a little bit. Put on your thinking cap. One of the Old Testament prophecies said that when Messiah did come, the eyes of the blind would be opened. And that was a unique miracle when it comes to the biblical record. The eyes of the blind would be opened. The ears of the deaf would be unstopped. The lame would leap as deer. You remember that prophecy? Bartimaeus was convinced that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. So he was also convinced that Jesus could do the things that only the Messiah could do. He believed that Jesus had the ability to heal him. His only question now was, was Jesus willing to heal him? So he appealed to Jesus that day on the basis of mercy. He comes to Jesus and he asks him, have mercy on me. Now what I loved about this is that Bartimaeus did not come to Jesus talking about his rights. Bartimaeus, or Jesus, I was born blind and this is God's fault. And since you're the Messiah, it's only right that you would fix this. He did not talk to Jesus about his rights. Neither did he approach Jesus on the basis of his merit. He did not come and say, you know, Jesus, I offer my sacrifices at the temple. I pay my alms. I go to synagogue every week. You owe a miracle to me. No, no, no. He said, Jesus, I am just a poor blind man. And I have absolutely nothing to offer you. Nothing to contribute to this miracle. All I can do is simply cast myself on your amazing mercy. Now, what's unique about this is that most people, of course, approach God on the basis of merit, don't they? You know, every study on the subject shows that Americans still, by a large percentage, believe 
that one day there is going to be a scale in heaven and God is going to weigh our good works and our bad works. And if our good works outweigh our bad works, then no matter what religion we were in or no matter uh, who we believed in, we will get to heaven based solely on our merits. Others, of course, in our culture like to have a victim's mentality in their approach to God. They look back at some injustice that was committed upon them in their lives. They believe God has wronged them, and now they have a right to God's blessing, and they have a right to heaven. Can I just say as compassionately as I know how tonight, I would advise you not to talk to God about your rights, okay? I don't want my rights from God. I have a right to sin. I have a right to death. I have a right to hell. I have no right to forgiveness, no right to grace, no right to mercy, and no right to heaven. The gospel is that on the cross, Jesus got our rights so we could have his rights. He received what we deserve so we, in an act of grace, could receive what only he deserved. And when the Father's justice was poured out on his Son, we could now come to God appealing to him, not on the basis of our merits, but the merits of Jesus Christ. Not on the basis of our merits, but on the basis of mercy. And ladies and gentlemen, that is good news. Because the Bible says that God is rich in mercy. The psalmist said that the Lord is good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy to all that will ask him. So the question that we were presented in the service tonight is why do we need the light? We need the light because we are spiritually blind and we live in a world of narrow darkness because we stumble around and we grope at the wall as noonday, as in midnight. Because we have no hope and no merit and no resources on our own to change our dreadful condition. But God in His great mercy has opened the eyes of our understanding and caused us to see the light of Christ. And by the way, He would do so for any person in Houston, Texas or Fort Worth, Texas or Dearborn, Michigan who would just cry out to Him and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Bartimaeus was certainly blind. But I think he could see some things too. And a long time before light ever got to his eyes, it got to his heart. And just a reminder today that there are a lot of blind people who could see the light today if only someone would bring them into contact with Jesus. So I notice in the first place the condition of the man. I notice in the second place the compassion of the master. Now, again, you've got to put your, your feet in Bartimaeus' sandals, if you will. There's a crowd everywhere. There are thousands of people on the street. It is loud and it is noisy and people are milling around. And again, the last thing people want to pay attention to on a day like that, maybe a World Series parade that might come to Houston, the last thing people want to pay attention to is a blind man. But he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the text indicates he didn't just say it once. He said it over and over and over again. And everyone had tuned him out and no one was listening. But I love what it says here. It says, and Jesus stood still. This is good. Remember, Jesus has some important place to go to and something very important to do. He's just passing through Jericho. He has set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. His hour is come, and it is time for him to die on the cross. But even then, with an important thing to do, an important place to go, Jesus stops to hear the cry of a poor and pitiful man. A cry for mercy stopped deity in its tracks. 
And that is just a window tonight into the compassionate heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I noticed this. Jesus called the man. He commanded his servants, call him. A moment before, apparently everybody had been telling him, pipe down. No one wants to hear from you today, Bartimaeus. Nobody wants to listen to you. But Jesus said, you tell that blind man over there to come to me. I'm calling him. Now, this is where uh, this passage really spoke to my heart, to be honest. I want you to think about this. Where do we find ourselves in this story? Okay? What is the message to the Christian in this story? Well, for sure, we are not the one who opens up the eyes of the blind man, right? Only Jesus is qualified for that. And thank God, I'm no longer Bartimaeus. I once was blind, but now I see. Who am I in this story? I'm a part of the unnamed servants who are to go out and find the Bartimaeuses of this world and to say, be of good cheer, rise up. The master is calling for you. And church, this is our message. We live in a world of people who are spiritually bound and they are blind. They're discouraged, depressed, and downhearted. And God has given us good news for them. Amen. Cheer up. Stand up. Jesus is calling for you. <laughs> and one encounter with him, and your life will forever be changed. I remember when I was a child, a small child, our family was certainly in darkness. My parents were not believers, and they were on the verge of divorce. We were so poor, my mom used to say in those days that if she had had $80, she would have gotten a divorce. My dad worked for the power company. We were from West Texas. There was a big storm in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. My dad went out of town for six weeks, and I'm telling you, their marriage was on the verge. While I was there, a small-town guy in the big city, you can imagine what he was doing in the evenings after he put his power lines up. But he had a friend who went on that trip with him, a co-worker. His name was Doug McGee. And my dad had confided in Doug about the marriage problems that he and my mother were having. And Doug kept telling my dad, Alton, Christ is what you need. You need to come to church with me. You need to be saved. Jesus can put your marriage back together. You can't do it. And my dad was doing all the drinking and all the partying, but he was also listening to what Doug had to say. I'll never forget the day he came home from that long business trip. I was about six years old at the time, and some memories just get etched in your mind. My dad had a 72 a Chevy pickup. It had dual exhaust and glass packs. Guys, you could hear that thing rumbling from a mile away, okay? He came across the corner over to our block, and we could hear the truck coming. My mom said, Dad's here. There were three of us. I was the oldest, all under the age of six. We ran out there, and we gave Dad a hug. We're so glad to see you today, Dad. And the way they tell the story is that one of the first things my dad said to my mom was this Sunday, we're going to try Doug's church out, and we're going to see if there's anything to this Christianity. Well, I remember the first Sunday the Gillette family went to church. I can't forget it. My dad and mom put me in some itchy, scratchy clothes that I really didn't like wearing. <laughs> they took me into church, and there was a room full of kids, and they were singing songs I had never heard and talking about people I had no idea about. They did give me a snack, and that was really nice. Now, my parents didn't know anything about children's church, so we just all went into the auditorium that day. And there was a man, and he must have been in his mid-70s. And he got up there and he spoke for about half an hour. And to be honest, he bored me to tears. But you know what that man said that day? He said, all men are sinners. And that God loves sinners. And that the good news is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. 
He died on the cross and He rose again. And if you would turn from your sin and put your faith in God's Son, He would forgive your sin and give you a brand new life and eternal life in heaven. Well, the invitation came and my father did not go forward. In fact, the message did not have the effect on my dad's life that the preacher wanted it to have that day. He came home from church furious. How dare that blankety-blank, those are his words, how dare that blankety-blank preacher tell me that I'm a sinner and that I'm on my way to hell. I know I'm a good man. We are never going back to that church again with a few other expletives mixed in. Now that was fine with me. I could sleep in later and watch cartoons on a Sunday morning. No big deal, right? But you know what happened, don't you? That next Sunday morning, my dad got us all up for church. He put us in those itchy, scratchy clothes. He said, guys, there is something going on in my heart, and we have to get back there. We went back to that Sunday school class, still singing those crazy songs, still talking about those unfamiliar people. They did give me a snack, and that was really nice. We went into the auditorium, and that same old man was speaking, and he bored me to tears. But you'll never believe what he said that Sunday morning. We are all sinners. But God loves sinners, and Jesus came to save sinners. He died on the cross and he rose again. And if you'll turn from your sins and put your faith in God's Son, He'll forgive you of your sin and give you a new life and give you eternal life. And that day my dad did walk the aisle of that Baptist church and he got down on his knees and he was gloriously saved. And everything changed in our home from that time on. My mother rededicated her life to Christ soon thereafter. I was saved about a year later. A few years later, my little brother was saved. A few years later, my little sister was saved. And we were in church every time the doors were open. Now, I don't think Doug McGee had any idea that Alton Gillett's little red-headed runt would become the pastor of the Worth Baptist Church, one of the great Baptist churches in the state of Texas. I don't think he knew that little Zach would end up as a missionary in England starting two churches before the age of 35. I don't think he had any idea that little Lauren would give up her used car dealership in San Angelo, Texas, so she could go into full-time missions. Now, I'm not saying this to brag, and all the glory goes to God, but just in our little family, we have seen hundreds of people come to Christ throughout the course of our ministry. And if the Lord allows us to live, maybe we'll see thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Doug McGee didn't know about any of that. All he knew was that there was a man who was spiritually blind and he was bound and he needed the hope of the gospel. And he went to that man day after day and said to him, cheer up, stand up. The master is calling for you and our lives were forever changed. And church, this is our message, and this is our job. There's a great detail in this story that I love. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was calling for him, you know what he did? He took off his cloak and he threw it in the air. Now, we have a man in our church who is almost blind. He's practically blind. And here's what I'll tell you. Blind people don't just put their possessions anywhere. And they certainly wouldn't throw their clothes anywhere because they'd be afraid if they threw them somewhere, they wouldn't be able to find them again, okay? You know what Bartimaeus was saying when he threw that cloak? Because Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, and I think he is a very merciful person. He's going to heal me. I'm going to come out of this interaction seeing, and I'll have no problem finding my coat again. Isn't that wonderful? So Jesus called the man. I noticed this. He cured the man. Jesus asked him, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) 
Now, Jesus didn't ask because he didn't know. It, it was fairly obvious what the blind man wanted, okay? He wanted to give this man an opportunity to ask Jesus for the impossible. And guess what Bartimaeus did? He said, Lord, that I might recover my sight. And I just wrote down a heading for that. That is audacious faith. This man knew what he wanted, and he had the boldness and courage to ask Jesus for it. He knew that Jesus might never pass through Jericho again. This was his opportunity to ask for the impossible. Jesus, I want to see. Now, who in the world asks someone for something like that? That's a God-sized prayer request. It's something no one else could do. A specific, audacious, fervent prayer. But ladies and gentlemen, when you're convinced you're talking to the son of David, you are not afraid to ask him to open up your eyes and to do something for you that no one else can do. When you know the identity of the person to whom you're praying, you will be audacious enough to ask him for the impossible. And Bartimaeus did that. You know, folks, it was audacious for John Knox to ask God to give him Scotland or else he died. It was audacious for George Mueller to wake up in the morning and ask God to put breakfast on the table for hundreds of orphans. It was audacious for William Tyndale to stand at the stake and ask God to open up the eyes of the King of England. You know, people used to ask God to do God-sized things. They used to be convinced that God was capable of the impossible. And I'm convinced that the smallness of our prayer request is often an insult to the greatness of our God. Does anyone here still believe God is capable of the impossible? You know, on Sunday, there was a lady in your church, and her husband wasn't there. He's gotten away from God, and he's out of church. And if a miracle doesn't take place, uh, they'll be divorced by New Year's Day. I wonder if anybody in that church is willing to pray some audacious prayers for that lady and her husband. There was a teenage boy in your church on Sunday with bloodshot eyes because he was up all night looking at pornography, and he doesn't know how to stop. There was a married couple, and they've tried all the treatments, and they so desperately want a child to raise for the glory of God. I just came to ask you tonight, does anybody still believe that God answers prayer? Amen. Does anybody believe Jesus is still the son of David? Let me ask you tonight, didn't God command us to reach our Jerusalem and Judea for Christ? Didn't he command us, Brother Cover, to reach the state of Texas for him? So don't we have the right to ask God for souls in our cities? Don't we have the right to ask God for a church planting movement in the United States of America? Amen. Folks, it's God's part to answer, and all of that is under His sovereign wisdom. But don't ever forget, it is our part to ask. Yes, you came to the Equip Conference tonight. Fantastic. But if Jesus was here in the flesh, I think He would ask us tonight, what is it exactly that you want me to do for you? What is it you would like me to do for you? Why have you come? And I wonder if anyone here has the faith to ask him for something impossible like Bartimaeus did. I see that he had audacious faith. That audacious faith led to amazing power. Can I remind you tonight that faith honors God and God honors faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Jesus said to Bartimaeus in response to this incredible request, Bartimaeus, go thy way. Your faith has made you whole. Now, it's interesting here. The word whole is the Greek word sozo. Some of you remember that from your first year of Greek, okay? It means to save. It is not the word usually used in the Bible to heal. 
Jesus was saying that this man not only got new eyes, he got new life. His amazing faith in Jesus as the Messiah actually led to his salvation, and Bartimaeus was saved that day. And it's important that you get that because there's a step that's going to follow it here in just a minute. The Bible says that as soon as Jesus said, go thy way, thy faith hath made you whole, immediately, one of Mark's favorite words, immediately he received his sight. Right on the spot, light flooded the darkness. Bartimaeus was blind as a bat at the beginning of Jesus' statement, but before he could even put the period on it, he saw 2020. That's amazing power, isn't it? I'll tell you, I saw that power on display on Sunday. We had our open house Sunday and had a house full of guests and unsafe people. And we gave the invitation and several raised their hand. And they came to church spiritually blind and bound. But by the time they finished praying, they were brand new creatures in Christ. It is amazing power. Now, audacious faith led to amazing power. And amazing power led to ardent discipleship. Last observation. Remember, Jesus said to Bartimaeus, go thy way. But look at the last phrase again of verse 52. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Jesus said to Bartimaeus, go your way. And Bartimaeus said, Jesus, your way is my way. <laughs> Wherever you're going, I want to go too. And isn't that the sign of a person who's truly been saved by the grace of God? Amen. That wherever Jesus is, they want to be there too. And Bartimaeus that day was willing to take the next step of obedience and follow Jesus in discipleship and go with him to Jerusalem. Now, this is interesting. Did you know that Bartimaeus is the only named recipient of a healing miracle in all of the gospel records? He's the only man who ever got healed by Jesus that we actually learned his name. Think about it. You never learned the name of the maniac of Gadara. You never learn the name of the leper that Jesus healed. Only we learn the name of Bartimaeus. Now, why is that? Well, a lot of commentators say that the reason we get the name of Bartimaeus is that he must have become a notable figure in the church and someone whose life was a tremendous testimony of the power of God to change a life. So I just want to ask you as we close today, what do you think Bartimaeus saw as he followed Jesus into Jerusalem? Well, he saw the triumphal entry, didn't he? He saw Jesus teaching in the temple and casting out the money changers. Maybe he watched Jesus and the disciples go into the upper room. He saw Jesus nailed to the cross of Calvary. And I wonder if, as the darkness fell, something clicked in Bartimaeus. And he did not say to himself, so this is how he could heal me. He was going to take my darkness so I could have his light. I wonder if Bartimaeus watched them take Jesus off the cross and place him in the borrowed tomb. Do you have any doubt that he must have stuck around to see Jesus rise three days later? Amen. Now here's my question, and this is just conjecture on my part. Was Bartimaeus there in the upper room 47 days later? Did he join the disciples in audacious prayer as they asked God to send the Holy Spirit? Did Bartimaeus say to the apostles, guys, don't be afraid to ask him. He can do anything. My life is testimony of that. Did Bartimaeus watch God respond in amazing power? Did he see cloven tongues of fire and hear the mighty rushing wind? 
Did he go out with the disciples and see 3,000 people come to Christ? Was his miracle only the beginning of a lifetime of audacious prayer and amazing power? I have a feeling it was. And I can't say for sure, but I have a strong hunch tonight that the blind man saw it all. <laughs> and I just want you to think for a minute about the condition of the men and women in your city and think about the power and compassion of the Lord Jesus. Yes, there is great darkness and blindness at work in this world, but there is an even greater light. And do you know who we are? We are those wonderful unnamed servants who have the privilege of saying to others, the master is calling for you. And this is why we endure pandemics. And this is why we endure criticism. And this is why we endure difficult times in ministry. So that we don't get off the road before Jesus gets to Jericho. So that we can be there and we can get to call out to some Bartimaeus. Cheer up, stand up, Jesus is calling for you. And we can get to see him do what only he can do. And who knows what he will see. And who knows what we will see. So I just came tonight to ask you to rejoin that wonderful rank of unnamed servants who have hope for a dark and lost and dying world. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this passage and how it has gripped my heart. Thank you for the amazing insight of Bartimaeus who saw what so many people missed. Even the disciples missed it. Lord, it is true, we're in a world of great darkness, but you have left us with a great light. And I pray that all of us would make the commitment tonight that we're not going to quit the road of following Jesus before we get to Jericho. That we are going to be dispensers of good news in a world full of bad news. I pray we'll be encouraged tonight and reminded what Jesus can do. I'd like us to stand together and we're going to have a time of invitation. If you're here tonight and you have never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I never want to take that for granted. There may be someone here and you are in a condition of spiritual blindness this evening. You've never really thought about your sin and what would happen to you after you die. You've never really thought about the fact that there's only one way to heaven and Jesus is that way. And something has happened in your heart today and the Holy Spirit has said some things to you. And this is the time for you to say like Bartimaeus did, Lord, save me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anyone here today who would say, Brother Gillett, to be honest, I am not 100% sure that I have ever been saved by Christ. If that's you, would you just lift your hand with mine? I want to pray for you. I'm not sure I've ever been saved. Pastor, would you please pray for me? God bless you in the back. I see that hand. Anybody else tonight? I'm not sure I've ever been saved. Pastor, would you please pray for me? If you just raised your hand, would you look up at me? Just look up. Every other head is bowed. God bless you. Here in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I don't know you. I don't know your story. But I know there is someone who would love to take the Bible and show you how you could be saved tonight. So when the instruments begin to play here in a moment and people start coming forward, I want you to come and we'll meet you here and tell someone at the front, I need to be saved. Now, I'm going to pray for you, but my prayer will not save you. You must pray and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, and we want to help you do that. 
How many of the rest of you would say, Pastor, I have been encouraged by Bartimaeus' story tonight. The Lord has spoken to me. And maybe you'd like to come tonight and you'd just like to worship. And you'd just like to thank Jesus for opening your eyes so you could see. Perhaps some of you walked in tonight and you were a little discouraged, stressed out, full of anxiety. I can relate. And I needed this reminder about my job in this world and the good things that God can do if we will stay faithful to him. And if God has spoken to you, pastor, pastor's wife, servant of the Lord, why don't you come and talk to the Lord and rejoin up this evening? Father, thank you again for the great attention of this crowd. Now, help us to respond as you've spoken to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.